Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater, vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Welcome back to the Eater Upsell podcast from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. I am joined by Eater's editor-in-chief, Amanda Clute, how are you? I'm great. What is how this voice you? I'm doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's you know it's new, yeah. so that's fun. We like to keep things fresh here. Yep. Ear upsell. So very today fresh. we have a very bittersweet episode. I have to say, we're celebrating the launch of the fifth National Thirty Eight. Uh, it is a very important list that we put out every year uh bill addison our roving restaurant critic spends the entire year traveling the country to put it together i think it's the most comprehensive list of its kind um you might see other lists that you think are like this but it's made by someone who just travels around for a few weeks and tries to get a good idea of what's happening he literally does not have a home and is on the road constantly eating he's a very special man what makes this episode bitter is that bill is leaving Eater. This is his last list that he's making for us. So we're going to talk to Bill about the list, but also highlights from his five years here and what he learned about American dining and his major regrets. It's definitely a fun episode, though. I mean, like, I love, yeah, yeah. I love not, this list. It's not a downer. It's we get fun. to rag on him for some decisions. He made a big mistake with one restaurant, but I, I forgive him. So here's Bill talking about his time at Eater, his uh, his failures, his successes, and then we get into the 38. What is different this year? What is new? What is exciting? And how he best encapsulates the food culture of America into a single document. Okay, so Bill, we have two important things to talk about today with you. Yeah. One, the National 38, the list that you work all year on, the list that you're traveling for and, and writing for and researching for throughout the calendar year. Uh, just came out this week, so we want to talk about that. And also, breaking news, you are leaving Eater. I'm leaving! Crazy! Yeah. So we need to give our listeners a chance to hear you one last time Yeah. to crazy. say goodbye. Really crazy. We can't talk about what you're doing next, because that's... That's your your business. But... <laughs> so far, yes. Sorry for the mystery. Some of us also don't know, like me. Yeah, yeah. It's a mystery. You know. Amanda I mean, knows. I, I, have an, I have an inkling, but it's a mystery. Come on. <laughs> I miss you guys already. We can talk about your last five years here, Bill. Yeah, we can. Whoa. I'm still processing all any, that. Any highlights? What an enormous question. Um, I need to write <laughs> a final newsletter to sort of process all of this. I mean, I loved getting to know San Antonio and really digging into the Tex-Mex roots there. Um, I think that Portland, Maine is an astonishing town and really like for its size, more interesting than Portland, Oregon right now when it gets down to it. Still still throwing shots on his last podcast. I'm I'm just, you know. Classic Portland versus Portland argument. (laughs) And I want to I want to pull back a little bit and say to listeners who don't know that Bill, when we hired him five years ago, has already been really well-traveled. He was a restaurant critic in San Francisco and and Dallas and Atlanta, but this really made you go everywhere. What are some of the areas that you weren't really familiar with that you got to know that you were happy to get to know? (sighs) 
I didn't know the, the Midwest well. It was a pleasure to go to places like Milktooth and Indianapolis to get to know that. I remember the second year after I kind of got my legs, like hitting all the major cities in America. Amanda, you were like, go someplace like the people don't expect you to go. And so I took this mm-hmm. road trip through Montana that was oh, yeah. really fun. And and Bozeman has like a like a pretty happening restaurant scene, but but plenty of Montana, like, you know, I mean it was fun to go to like the the a, a burger joint in um oh my god butte in butte montana there was a butte uh, a burger joint that was really old school and like a a super mid-century like chinese american restaurant that was still serving like chopped suey and stuff that just didn't like taste very good but the the ambiance of the place <laughs> was amazing and it was crowded and people were were like you know patronizing this place so that was fascinating um, I loved being able to go to kind of edge of the earth places like, um, like the Willows Inn on Lummy Island. That was such an extraordinary treat, um, that I'll never forget. And I don't know, like I keep coming back to, you know, I lived in Texas, but, um, Dallas has a fine Tex-Mex scene, but I just really loved being able to dig more deeply into the roots of Tex-Mex, particularly in San Antonio, and to get to know Houston. And, and you know, I just, yeah, I've said over and over again that I think Houston has one of the most remarkable dining scenes in the, the country and the world. And, and um, I'm glad that people are catching on to that. You know, David Chang said that not too long ago. And I think all because of you, uh, maybe because of me and tiny, teeny part because of me, but it doesn't matter. The point is that people are getting to know about (laughs) it. And, um, wow. What else? Well, hold on. Do you have any, do you have anything that you feel like you put, you helped, you, you really helped to put on the map? What an interesting question. I honestly feel like that is. I can't, I don't take credit for some shit. Yeah, you know? I just you know I think that I think that putting restaurants on the map is really the purview of city critics. I there are definitely places I remember in Dallas that I felt there was a a Chinese restaurant with a Shanghainese specific menu that when I when I went and tasted through that I was astounded by how good it was and I remember the restaurant emailing me at the end of the weekend after my review had come out to say say that they ran out of food every night and that like I saved their business and that's crazy but I, I don't I didn't I didn't think of my job in terms of like you know there there are plenty of of food writers who are who are good at putting restaurants on the map. And I never really saw that as my job here. I, I saw it as my job to kind of um, take it all in and then do my best to kind of illuminate what I, what I figured out by just doing deep dives into these cities and then into the country. I mean, I guess one of the things that, I, that I'll take pride in is that a lot of the, when I was writing my, I've gone through a lot of cycles with this job. And at first I was just writing impression, one-off impressions of restaurants going as fast as I can, because that's what we, you know, that's what we set out to do because I wanted to, we wanted to compile this um, first 
National 38, that's 38 essential restaurants of America based on the city-based eater list. And after, at the end of that year, we said, okay, we should try and like settle in a little more um, and do kind of city survey um, pieces, more narrative pieces that kind of put forth the hypothesis around a city, pick one thing about that city and kind of illuminate it. And I feel proud that in most cases, um, when I got feedback from those cities, they were like, yeah, that guy, that guy kind of got it. He didn't just drop in and, and tick off a couple things that, that, you know, were that the cool kids, where the cool kids were eating. He really tried to, to dive into the, the deeper narrative of what's happening in this city. Um, I feel good about that. How else did your pieces evolve over the years? I think there came a point, you know, particularly because doing those deep dives in cities, you know, sometimes I would just be going to five, seven restaurants a day. But I also needed to, the just the practicality of needing to, to keep pieces moving. Um, I there was a, a point where we just talked about me doing more specific restaurant reviews where I approached it like a, a traditional review, meaning that I went two or three or four times to a restaurant and we were looking for restaurants that were really important to the conversation in a city and by extension, extension, the nation. And, um, and that was a little easier on my constitution. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I also, I am at heart, you know, I've, I've, I've worn several hats as a writer in this job, but I am a restaurant critic. That's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And a, a restaurant critic writes reviews. And, um, even though I, a lot of what I wrote was largely positive because it didn't personally make a lot of sense for me to be going to places to just down, uh, you know, to just drag them down um, for a national conversation. Um, you know, that didn't mean that I didn't criticize, that I didn't say like they're not doing the service is a little weak or this aspect of the food needs work. But it was more about the the place in the fabric of the conversation. What, did, did you write any things that you would consider a, a takedown? I, I mean, I wrote a not very um, favorable review of Menton in Boston early on, one of Barbara Lynch's restaurants. How did it, how did it feel? Well, I had written, you got to understand, like as a city critic, I wrote plenty of negative reviews. I mean, I'm sure some, some restaurateurs in Dallas specifically would be happy to speak up and tell you how much they hate me for the reviews that I wrote about them. So it's not that I'm not capable of writing a mean review. I just saw it as my job to not do that so much as a national critic. Well, I think there were also some some cases where you would go to a city and say, actually, don't bother. Yeah, <laughs> More or less. there were. Not really, but you would say like, oh, well, everyone's saying Pittsburgh is the new hot destination and I think they're not quite there yet. Or I think this is good and that's good, but maybe you don't have to plan your next trip around this. Yeah, and I would say, you know, if, if again, if you know, to kind of apply that sort of thinking. If, if I had to name one city in the in the Eater universe where there's a city-based site that I had the hardest time finding, like, really <laughs> joyful things to write about, it was 
Denver, Colorado. Sorry, Denver. Wow. Yeah. I think we both thought you were going to say Vegas. Oh, I thought he was going to go back to Boston. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. I was thinking Vegas. But maybe that's just because you don't like Vegas so much, Dan. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Vegas is certainly a mystery. And and, um, I would probably put Vegas. Uh, second on that list, and Boston maybe third on that list, but... What's wrong with Denver? Man, I just had a hard time finding anything that, as a national critic, like, I just thought this is fresh and interesting and, and like, nothing that else that's quite going on in the country. It it was... Yeah, did you even ever write about Denver? Like, Frasca's in Boulder. Right, Um I guess, Amanda, this is where I confess to you <laughs> real time that I did go out there for a week and didn't find just anything and just to file. not wrote, write about it. The reason Bill is approaching this with a bit of trepidation is the implication here is that he spent a week of eater budget and could produce no content. Out. The, yeah, yeah. But that's part of the job. Right. No, I was just letting the listeners know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was no like CBD bakery or something that you got to pick out of? You know, I I have, uh, I will say for the record that I have since gotten over that kind of trepidation, but I was out there. My then partner joined me on the weekend for that that part of the Denver trip and we went into a dispensary and when we saw that like there was a camera on us and that we had to sign in and give our IDs we like scampered out nervously and didn't go back (laughs) (laughs) I love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I got over that in California and Oregon Uh, I'll say that so it's all legal all legal friends some road secrets (laughs) I know it's uh you know need a little calm in this crazy job job sometimes so you were going to talk about Vegas and Boston Vegas, you know, Vegas is just its own weird animal, but I will also admit that I probably could have spent more time in Vegas. I I just know that, that, you know, Vegas had that moment like 15 years ago where I remember in an interview, Ruth Reichel said that if she was interviewing or reviewing restaurants in a city still, she'd want to be in Vegas around that time, but it's just since become so bifurcated, you know, what, what really has heart in the cooking in most instances is off the strip. And, um, I certainly could have done more reporting on that, you know, at the end of a tenure for things, I, I start to think about what, what I regret, like what I haven't done enough of. I mean, I spent, 30 some weeks on the road every year and ended up giving, you know, I sold my house in Atlanta in May, 2017, and I haven't had a permanent home since. So um, I, I, I don't think that I, um, you know, I'm just one human. I, so I wish I'd spent more time in Vegas. I wish I'd gone to Boise, Idaho. Um, mm. I wish I'd gone to Oklahoma City. Uh, I wish I'd gone to Alaska. You know, a few, I mean, I hit hit most of them. What, one last question. You, since you've been traveling so much and now you're going to be based in one place. How Ooh, does that spoiler. Be? Well, I think that's that's his whole point. Like yeah. he's been, sold his house a year and a half ago and hasn't had a home since. What do you think you'll miss about the more itinerant life? I think it's rare as a human being to get to wholly indulge one aspect of yourself. So- 
my wanderlust is is thoroughly indulged and and it's i know that it's it's hard almost hard for me to answer that question because i have I have forgotten what it's like to have a home. I mean, I'm hanging out with friends for a couple weeks in Atlanta during a transition time, which has been my home off and on for 20 years, Atlanta. And I'm like, I cooked dinner last night and that, it felt freaky. I was like, and it didn't even take that long. I just thought, wow. Like, so I'm more, I'm, I, it's hard for me to, to say what I'll miss, except, oh, I know what I'll miss. I'll miss everyone that I've gotten to know in those cities. Like that, that honestly, when this, when wandering started to become hard, a little personally in the last year or so, I would just think, well, I'm going to see these people I love in Seattle and these people I love in Chicago and these people I love in Charleston. And, and that always kept me going. So it's, it's going to be weird not to, get to experience all this dining with the really great people I've come to know. You do weirdly have friends in like every single city. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some, in some cases, in a lot of cases, I, I made these friends, um, on the, on the job, but yeah, I, it's the, the good news is that I'm, I'm not, no spoilers moving somewhere that a lot of people go. So I think that those people will just come see me. And so that'll be great. What about your Delta status? Bummer. I'm going to lose my Delta status and I don't kind of don't care. Like it takes so much work to be a diamond on Delta, which I only just made this past year. And I've enjoyed those those upgrades and I already made platinum for next year. So I get to ride it a little. Thanks, Eater Mm -hmm. slash Fox. You're welcome. <laughs> but but then after that, I unless I'm doing a whole lot of um, international travel that I don't really foresee, I, it's going to tank, and I'm going to be okay with that because I'm I'm going to have a home. Do you, Do you remember how how to like own a car? Yeah, I can't like, wait. Do the oil oil changes? Oh and shit! Yeah, I'm even like driving around <laughs> this rental um, on all my Hertz points for a couple weeks for free, and. And I was like, what's that light? And I was like, shit, you have to remember to put gas in cars, Bill. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be uh, a relearning. I'm up for it. Awesome. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smart water, vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. All right, so let us transition into talking about this year's list, your final ever. Whoa. Oh my God, list. I know. I'm going to start. Well, can we remind people what the Eater 38 is? Yes. Bill, what is the Eater 38? The Eater 38 is... um, a snapshot of what's going on in America right now. And it is a list of essential restaurants. So it isn't the hottest, buzziest restaurants. It is the a collection of restaurants that, based on my firsthand experience, I think really makes up the the fundament of dining in America and, and really 
shows us not only what's wonderful to eat in the country, but but who we are through the culture of food. Where do you want to start, Amanda? You got some... Well, I have one one place I want to talk about, <laughs> and then we can yeah. do whatever you want, Dan. But there's a restaurant called République. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the world. <laughs> and it's been on this list. How, was it on the first list? Uh, no, but I think it was on the second, third, and fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, what is République, Amanda? Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? It's this restaurant in Los Angeles um, that has the best pastries mm-hmm. of all time. <laughs> and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous room. It's It used to be Campanile. Um, and before that, was it a church or is it just church vibes? The story goes that it was owned by Charlie Chaplin and um, Nancy Silverton and Mark Peel had Campanile, one of the defining Calatau restaurants in Los Angeles um, there for many years. And then... Um, then the current owners, Walter and Marguerite, Margarita M- Man- Marguerite Mansky. Yes, we're gonna we're butchering this, yes. but you whatever. <laughs> it sounds like a really fascinating lineage for a restaurant. Yeah, yeah and uh, they have this counter when you walk in with all these pastries mm-hmm. on the side, but they also serve a full breakfast that's amazing, like so so good. So good. Amanda loves breakfast. And I love breakfast, and the, and it's um. Like a little expensive, but once you eat it, you're like, oh, fuck, this is the most amazing thing. Like, of course, it should be this expensive. Like, good for them. And it's a really great vibe. You can sit wherever. It's a good scene. Makes you feel good. Stay there all day, which I've done before. And then you get (laughs) a big salad. And then for dinner, they have, you know, all all the wonderful dinner things like breads and meats and pastas. And it's just like perfect place. Yeah. Why do you why do you bring this restaurant up? Because it's not on the list this year. <laughs> I know. It's a bummer. It is one of the most torturous things to have to decide what goes off this list. And and I will say that, uh, for the record, EIC Amanda Clute likes some heavy turnover on this list. So <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Looking under the hood for year I five. Mean. <laughs> You can't, it can't be too stagnant, but they're. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So as, as heartbreaking it is, as it is to let the pastries and the kimchi fried rice and the chorizo sopes of Republique, um, move on. Um, we had to bid adieu for, I don't know. I just wanted, you know, LA is, um, I have said many times the most exciting, uh, food city in America. And I still believe that. And you, each city um, even the big ones, the big important ones, can only have so many slots. And there was, mm-hmm. it's like torture with LA and New York, but maybe particularly with LA. And yeah, are those the two hardest cities? Those are absolutely the two hardest cities for me. Yeah. And I, I will say too um, that I spent uh, more time in New York than anywhere else this year. I was auditioning the city to see if maybe we could live together. And the answer is no. <laughs> and so... You didn't, you didn't give her a fair, a fair chance. <laughs> we, will, we will debate this for the rest of our... He got a sublet with a cat in it. Like, that's... <laughs> you just don't do that. Of course you're going to hate a city if you wake up with a cat on your face every day. <laughs> it had a good location. It was across from the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was nice. <laughs> Anyway, so I just wanted something, you know, we have on uh, for Los Angeles, we have Ennaka, which is, you know, just the most, maybe the most exquisite Japanese restaurant in America. 
And we have Park's Barbecue, which is like the quintessential Korean barbecue restaurant. And we have Marisco's Jalisco, which may serve the single best taco in the country. Maybe the universe. I don't know. But then I needed something like fresh, something that really kind of spoke to the energy, like the current kind of like mid-scale neighborhoody energy in Los Angeles. And so I chose... Here's looking at you, which, you know, even though I know some people do not like the phrase like global plates, um, but, you know, if we're talking about that style of cooking that has been prevalent in the last decade across the country where uh, a smart chef draws from flavors and cuisines from all over the world and then puts them in together in kind of miraculous ways, that's Here's Looking at You. And also the cocktail program is sick. So good. What are some other newcomers to the list that um, people should know about? Is 2M new this year? 2M Smokehouse is new and mm, love that place. Um, there are two, you know, might be a little controversial. There are two Texas barbecue restaurants on this small list of 38 restaurants. Um, I could not um, bring myself to pull off Franklin Barbecue, which change the conversation of barbecue in America. And I don't think much more needs to be said about that. But 2M Smokehouse is awesome. Um, It's two San Antonio natives who bring in their Mexican-American heritage in and pair it with really good barbecue. Like the barbecue is on par with some of the best being made in the state. So the brisket is just that kind of like you know, rewires your, your brain around like how like custardy and how many flavors like, like brisket beef can, can conjure, but also the sides are, are really uh, Mexican and they, that you give you a stack of tortillas and you can make tacos out of that delicious brisket and it all comes together really seamlessly. What else is new this year? What what about New York? What uh, you know? What is crazy? Everything in New York is new this year. Um, Ooh, talk about Superiority Burger. Superiority Burger, like everyone loves that place. And so the more time I spent there, the more time. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't impressed the first time. Like that guy Brooks Headley, I love his narrative. He's he might be from Baltimore. I don't know. Um, I know that he was in a punk band in Baltimore, but whenever I look at him, you know, like I never identify myself, but he's always in that tiny little 280 square foot space. And I look at him yeah. and I'm like, you are from Baltimore. I feel your energy, man. I, I, Even if he's not. Right. I should say as a, as a <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. I can't even tell you. He looks like someone from Baltimore, Maryland. He has the features <laughs> of a white guy from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and that's you're, why. Really, you're really selling people on Superior okay, Burger. Right, maybe just like, as a side note, sorry, they sell yeah. a $5 veggie burger. That's fantastic. That's it is fantastic. fantastic. I'm sorry. Sorry to get distracted. <laughs> um, that is the major point. The point is always about the food, no matter how <laughs> fascinated I get by the sociology around the restaurant. The veggie <laughs> burger is great. And it's like so cheap. So clearly, uh, Superiority Burger is an eater favorite. But how did someone finally convince you to to check it out? It wasn't that I wasn't convinced about. I would say that Superiority Burger had been on the long list of this oh. this for several years, and it's only been open what two years, two and a half years. So I, I was I was circling around it, but 
I, I went, I think partly because I spent so much time in New York and, and <laughs> remembered how ungodly expensive it is. So for someone to put this much effort and to have been, you know, a, a pastry chef at, at a, a shiny church of pasta in Manhattan and then go open his own little place um, and do such good food for such a reasonable amount of money. It's one of the great passion projects. Yeah. So I, it just, yeah, it, it kind of, when I really stopped and thought about it, blew my mind. Hey, Bill, are there any chain restaurants on this list? Why, since you asked, Dan, there is for the first time ever a chain restaurant, a locally owned chain New York restaurant, Xi'an Famous Foods. Um, yeah, another one that um, that I, I, you know, it was nice to have some some influences from from the New York staff and and when we uh, we went on a little tour, some of the New York staff um, and me in Queens, and we were eating around, and um, nothing was quite like perfect enough for for this, you know, for what I have in my head, for what I I. I want on this list. And somebody was just like, yeah, like you, you know, this is, this isn't better than Chian famous foods. And I was like, Oh, ding, ding. And at first I thought, Oh, but it's a chain. And then I thought, you know what? It's a father and son team and they haven't franchised and they have kept up the quality and consistency of the food. I ran around doing some spot checking once I, I was really thinking seriously about it. And you know, their their signatures that that cumin lamb burger and the most specifically like the spicy cumin lamb hand ripped noodles were just great from place to place. And another example of being able to eat really well um, in New York with a great narrative. You know, this this um, family started serving this food because the, the food of Xi'an in, in Northwestern China is their home and they missed it and they wanted to serve it. And it started in a, the basement of a mall in Queens and it was so good. It grew and grew and grew. Anthony Bourdain was a big champion early on and, and that helped them. Via Corota is on there. Finally, I feel like I, I, it may not be on your list, but every time you come into New York, you probably say the word at least 10,000 times. I think this was the first year he's even been to Via Well, oh, so that that's true? the thing, right? Like, after last year's 38 came out, I was in New York one more time for work, and Amanda and I were going out to lunch, and she suggested it, and I was just like, okay. And, you know, I certainly heard of it, but I hadn't been. And then I was so mad because I loved it so much. And I didn't, I was like, why have I not been to this restaurant before? Like that, that, in that moment, I felt more convinced to move to New York. Cause I was like, what else are you people not telling me about? <laughs> what are you hiding from me? <laughs> you monsters. <laughs> but, oh, Via Corota is so good. It's just my, and it's nice because I, I, you know, have sent plenty of people there since, since I, you know, first went discovered it. I didn't say that. I didn't say those words, Dan. I worked very hard not to say those words. Um, um, I um, have sent plenty of people there since I first went myself, and everyone goes. They're happy. They get it. Handful of pastas. A lot of beautiful Italian vegetable dishes. That that crazy steak chop 
steak, chopped steak that's like, you know, it's basically a, a buttery hamburger without a bun, the Sfizzerina. But there's, and it's, you know, on this perfect West Village street and lunch is the time to go as Amanda Clute already knew. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, can be a mob scene at dinner and you don't want that. They don't take reservations, but you can usually kind of saunter in at, at some point of the lunch hour and, and get a seat pretty quickly. Uh, it's just perfect. It's, I rarely use that word, but I mean, it's just, yeah, that place feels so good. What was the hardest thing to leave off this year? Um, hardest great restaurant. question. <sighs> um, besides Republique, of course. Besides Republique. <laughs> I mean, obviously. it was. Republique was hard to move along. I would say that Pool's Diner, Ashley oh. Christensen's flagship in Raleigh, was also hard to pull off, but um, there is, you know, I despite all my wandering, um, I I am a Southerner at heart still, and there are there are quite a few Southern restaurants on this restaurant list. On this, there are quite a few Southern restaurants on this list still, and I just felt like one of them's got to go, and I hated it, but it was pools. Everyone should still go to pools. This is a silly question, but do you do you use like Post-it notes or anything? Like, do you have this like a big traveling board that you carried all your hotel rooms, and you're like, <laughs> ah, they're out, ah, they're in, like some like, FBI investigation tax system. It's called Trello. It's called Trello. <laughs> right. Amanda Clute, another Clute, you know, gratitude moment. Like Amanda taught me how to compose a beautiful Trello board. If there's anything I can be known for, it's <laughs> teaching people how to use Trello. <laughs> with, um, yeah, with beautiful pastry pictures in the background. You know, Bill, every time we had a similar conversation last year, and it really makes me actually just want to try to go to all these in succession in some way. Dan, I think that you're the man to do that. And so if you... I'm not taking up the mantle, Dan. Uh, (laughs) 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 Fair. Someone please do it. (laughs) Also, I'm terrible at Trello, so... (laughs) Uh, Well, you'll learn. I was too, man. I was also terrible at photography when I started this job, I think... Maybe that was the only thing that might have given Amanda some serious pause. But mm-hmm. but you taught yourself. It's amazing. Well, we appreciate all the work you put into this list and the last four lists and all of the work you've done for us. Bill, we will miss you so much. Whoa, it's just hard to imagine that uh, I'm not going to be a part of this team anymore. This is, no. I know, it's like y'all have been, this job has just been my whole existence for almost five years so you are you are by extension a whole part of my life so thank you well we will have you back on the upsell oh i'd love that please when mysteries are revealed yes yes you can make cameos throughout next year and the following years until they shut us down okay (laughs) soul bill we love you good luck on your next adventure great list thank you Love you all right back. Everybody go check out the National 38 on Eater.com. It will be at the top of the page all week and probably all month. Thanks for reading, everyone. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smart water. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. <laughs>